Hey friends, before we start the show, I just want to remind you that we have a free Myers-Briggs audio tour course on our website. So go to dopamine.life and check that out. There's a button at the top of the page. And if you fill out the details to let me know which personality type you are, and then pick which topic you're interested in, whether that's personality, typology, creativity, or mental health, I'll give you some specific advice through my through signing up for the email to uh, get all sorts of offers and advice and uh, access to exclusive things. So go ahead, dopamine.life and sign up for that stuff right now. Well, not right now. Well, yeah, right now. And then come back and listen to the show. So go do the thing. Hey, everybody, C-Note here, and welcome to Dopamine, the show that is like Mickey Mouse. Fantastic, because, uh, you know, Fantasia and all that stuff. Today on the show, I want to talk to you guys about intellectualizing emotions. This is a concept that came to me through Molly and her therapy, and her therapist brought it up to her and some stuff that she was doing. Sorry to sell you out there, Molly, but it's something that I've been doing as well in my life for sure, and I've seen it a million times, and it's something that is a little bit more neurotypical than we would probably consider. Uh, it doesn't really, yeah, it's big. It's a big deal. Let's hit the button and do the thing on dopamine. Let's go. Hello, friend. Welcome back to Dopamine. How you doing? I hope you're doing okay. I'm sure it sounds really weird when I do that, because I'm like, I'm hearing the, head, the music in my headphones, and uh, I'm like, I'm all ramping up to do my show, and like, I'm sure my neighbors are like, what is he doing? <laughs> Why is he doing that? Why is he being like, hello, and stuff? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> hope you guys are doing okay. Welcome to the show. Welcome back. I've been doing a lot of work lately, and... Um, there are some shifts happening sort of mentally for me and I want to get back to this show being a little bit more mental health focused and even though I'm talking about creativity and personality typology sometimes the core idea here is about mental health day to day and really expanding the conversation of mental health not just being about mental illness and we're going to talk about, you know, ADHD and bipolar disorder and all of those things. There's a million things to talk about. But what is so much more fascinating to me is the day-to-day -day neuroses that we're challenged with and dealing with all the time based on whether it's a uh, culture, our upbringing, our traumas, our, I don't know, personality models we get attached to, religion, uh, all the things. There are just so many things that we can really learn from from just experiencing the fact that normal is a wide spectrum and being mentally ill is a wide spectrum. And there is a lot of neuroses that we all experience in one way or another. So I think being honest about how we feel day to day is really important about creating the connections that we actually genuinely want to make in our lives. And that's why intellectualizing emotions Something that we do very much, very often is really important for us to be aware of so that we can 
be aware of which ways we are putting blockers up without even realizing it. Sometimes that is with metaphor. Sometimes that is with just sort of vague language and saying things like, I'm fine. It's okay. You know, it's like taking a hot topic, a, not the store, uh, <laughs> but it's like taking a, 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 a big heated emotional feeling or idea or something that you're experiencing and trying to distill it into something that is palatable that is bite-sized there's a little bit of baby size emotions like yeah, it's cool it's fine it's all right and you know it's digestible it's digestible for yourself or it's digestible for other people and that's why i you know i i try to think about some of these topics that sort of impede us from properly doing that right uh, there's a podcast episode I want to do soon about swearing and cursing, right? I I've done that a long time ago when I was initially doing this on anchor, but I want to revisit it because for me cursing, while a lot of people would find that it's not, it's an expression of a lack of intelligence to curse. I find it to be the opposite. I find that cursing is a way for you to genuinely express what you're feeling because emotions come out. like, you can't say the F word without feeling uh, some sort of error, uh, <laughs> right? Like there's, there's just, there's emotions that come out through that stuff, right? So that's going to be really important for us to talk about in an upcoming episode. So I wanted to talk about intellectualizing emotions because it's just something that keeps us from connection all the time in our lives. And it's something that can really make us suppress so much of what we're experiencing, what is genuinely and honestly the emotional human experiences that we have. And this assumption that if we push it down, it's not going to come back. Right. And a lot of the time, uh, mental illnesses can spring up. Some sort of neuroses can usually spring up by some form of repression, even honoring or not honoring the fact that we are feeling sad can lead to depression. And, you know, cause depression is not an emotion. Depression is a state of not a yeah state of being, <laughs> not a not a state in the United States. Um, I don't know why you would think that. I just I don't know. I got thrown off by context. Um, so depression is not a, an emotion. It's a state of being. And if you think about that, and the fact that maybe you're not acknowledging a sadness in your life, that can lead to depression because you're not honoring what your brain needs to work through to honor through to 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 feel, to experience. And it can be a challenge because it's a very lumbering, taxing, sometimes embarrassing, sometimes socially awkward, uh, sometimes intellectually sacrificing feeling. Like we feel stupid when we express a very basic emotion sometimes. Like saying something like, I feel sad, feels like you're being a child. And I think we get that narrative a lot. I think a lot of our Parents may have said something like that, like, don't be so dramatic or don't say that or, you know, or, or don't complain about that, you know, just take your lumps, handle it, you know, and there's something to be said about being able to do that. I think society functions based on that. Like, I think, um, you know, society is able to function because of the ability for us to not be so emotional all the time, <laughs> you know, I think you know, having a personal professional life rather, um, allows us to create a little bit of separation in a way that allows us to be productive as human beings and move forward and get things done. And on the other side of it, 
you know, we need to make sure that we're instilling a sense of balance in our lives so that we are expressing our genuine emotions to the people we need to express them to. Right. So if you're walking down the street and someone says, how you doing? Like, it's okay to say you're fine. It's okay to say, cool, I'm good. You know, because you don't need to engage the full breadth of your emotions with a complete stranger or with the neighbor down the street. That's not what we're saying here. What I'm saying is that when you have the opportunity to express yourself to the person that it matters to, like that is the opportunity to do so. And that's going to be a very uncomfortable feeling. It's, it's uncomfortable because you can assume that there might be repercussions based on that. You might assume that this could lead to the start of an end of a relationship. This could lead to you maybe feeling a sense of depression or pressure or anxiety that maybe you haven't experienced in a long time and you fear that being honest will lead to that, right? It sort of leads to the idea of like secondary gains and secondary losses of assuming, assuming that because you are going to grow that you might uh, experience some sort of a loss, right? But growth is growth. And growth means understanding where you are and where you're going. And if you don't understand where you are through a sense of awareness, then you're not going to be able to move forward. So understanding where you are and where your emotions are gives you the opportunity to be able to move forward in a way that's going to be healthy for you. So moving forward also means just, like I said, listening to yourself. And if you do that, it's like exercising a skill, basically. It's exercising this, uh, if you're learning a skill like learning a language or um, speaking, uh, you know, doing podcasting or doing public speaking or doing something that, uh, like drawing, something that involves regular skill for you to advance your skill set every single day. If you don't do that with the expression of your emotions, you're going to potentially genuinely get to a place where you're not going to remember what it's like to actually know what you're feeling. So even for people who identify as thinkers, it can be a challenge that if you are not expressing yourself regularly to actually know how you're feeling. And I've experienced that. Uh, like that's really hard. And often I feel like I have to talk my way to my emotional state all the time. And I do that with Molly all the time. Like, I don't know how I feel, but I sort of just share what's on my mind and I eventually get to how I feel based on what's on my mind. But if the rudimentary raw feeling comes up for me, I have to say it. If I mask it with other stuff and make it sound like it's good or important or, or but actually isn't, that's just putting a wall between me and my partner and being able to express and share with her what my honest feelings are. But then it's also about me. It's also about how I'm expressing and feeling about myself as well. So a good example of that is like Molly and I recently had uh, some, you know, some emotional rubbings, <laughs> as it were. And uh, we were kind of dealing with some, some big holistic issues between us that we had to talk about. And, uh, this is not something that I'm willing to go into detail on this podcast about, but in terms of the conversation, we had kind of danced around it for a little while. You know, she needed to express something that she wasn't really sure how to express it or what she needed to express. And she really couldn't get to what she needed to express if I was not expressing how I was expressing. So we were hitting a stalemate basically. And I was not being honest about my reactions to her, uh, thoughts and behaviors and what she was working through. And she couldn't 
get a better gauge of what I was experiencing and therefore couldn't really be honest about what she was experiencing. And we were kind of just volleying back and forth this sort of negative energy and we weren't able to help each other. Right. Until I literally just was laying in bed once and thinking like, this is not helpful. This is just not helpful for me to not be honest about what it is that I'm feeling. Like I have an idea of what I'm feeling or at least enough of an idea to be able to talk through it with her. And I have to be honest. Like, what am I scared of? We've done this a million times. We've talked about a lot of big things. Uh, she's an intelligent person. She's someone that like, I can be very honest and open with. So what's the, where's the fear there? You know, is it something else going on within me that doesn't trust this side of my emotional reactions? The, you know, because I was, I was rubbing up against um, an emotional reaction that I had not experienced in a long time. And it was, it was rubbing up against the core. I keep saying rubbing a lot. I hope that that makes you uncomfortable. Um, (laughs) um, it was, it was rubbing against the, the, the core of like a sort of ethical foundation for me in, in terms of relationships and what I wanted in a relationship and what I felt was sort of an immovable part of me that it challenged me, it challenged me in a way that made me deeply uncomfortable in a way I haven't felt in a long time. And I haven't, I haven't felt this deep discomfort because it's just, you know, Molly, someone that continues to challenge me in a good way. And because she's growing and we keep kind of pushing each other to grow, we come up against these things all the time. So for me, I had to genuinely just express what that was. I had to say that I was hitting a wall, that I was having these reactions and that it was uncomfortable. And, um, I didn't know how honest it was and all of this stuff. And I just, it was this process and it wasn't until we both worked through this process. We literally sat on the couch for like four hours and talked about everything that we felt was going on with it. And it doesn't matter how basic it was. doesn't matter how rudimentary it was. And that's something I need to still work through all the time too, because I feel like my emotional expressions like are stupid. I feel very frustrated by that because like I'm a thinker type, you know, I'm an INTP. And so I tend to talk through emotions, or I just talk about concepts and ideas, right? Talking about emotions feels simple sometimes to me. And sometimes that fear of being simplistic or, or feeling simplistic is like, you know, uh, um, sort of like a, uh, dishonorable view of my, what's the word? I can't find the right word. It just makes me feel stupid. (laughs) I was trying to intellectualize, but it just makes me feel stupid. And I don't like feeling stupid, basically. Uh, So I I needed to get comfortable with just being vulnerable. You know, for me, being stupid is being vulnerable. Like, or at least my perception of being stupid is being vulnerable or being simplistic is being vulnerable, right? And just saying like, I feel hurt. I feel frustrated. I feel sad. I feel like I don't understand it. I feel like it's... Uh, it doesn't make sense. I feel like it's selfish or I feel like it's this, right? Like I have to be honest about what my reactions are. And it doesn't mean that that's going to be the be all end all state of emotions. Like that's not like what any of that means or is when you're expressing an emotion, you know, it's in the moment, it's in process. It's like what you're feeling, and it, it changes all the time, it changes moment to moment, you know, it can get frustrating because like culturally we feel like a lot of people can judge us based on our in the moment emotion. 
And that's just not even remotely true that it, anyone is allowed to do that. Our emotions are changing and we're holding space for that all the time. And we need more opportunities to hold space for other people so that we can get comfortable with the idea that they're going to hold space for us and what we're working through and what we're feeling and, and understanding that even though in my situation with Molly, there were certain reactions that I felt, the reaction is not an end state for me. The reaction might be something that be, might be crystallized for a little while, but it's something I'm working on and could grow from and be chipping away at. And if we can continue to just be honest about what those reactions and expressions are, then, you know, real change and connection can actually occur. And I think that's incredibly powerful. So I have this article pulled up by uh, Nick Wig Wignall. I don't even know if that's actually his name. Hold on. Nope. I don't, yeah. Nick Wignall and uh, nickwignall.com. And I just kind of looked up intellectualizing emotions on Google. And I was trying to find some some ways to put words around this. And what I've said so far basically covers a lot of it. I kind of remixed it for you. But um, I wanted to go through some of the the terms and the ways that he expresses it a little bit. And one of those is uh, imposter emotions. And the imposter emotions is kind of what I'm talking about when I say like, I'm fine or nothing's wrong or I'm bugged or I'm just a little upset, like the cooling down kind of words like, yeah, it's cool. It's whatever, you know, kind of downplaying uh, how you're feeling. I think those are uh, those are typically put into two kinds of trick language, which is umbrella terms, uh, generic words that are uh, that act as containers for as many possible feelings. So something like I'm upset or, um, uh, let's see, it's like, uh, having too much junk in the drawer. I'm trying to like read through this right. Common umbrella terms include stressed, uh, stressed or stressed out, uh, feeling weird or feeling upset, um, feeling fine, kind of okay, or overwhelmed a little bit off. And I, I know a lot of, uh, a lot of my millennial friends will use this a lot. Like we'll, we'll use very like non-committal language. And I think non-committal language is, is not helpful for us. Um, I think there's a, there's a directness about emotional experiences that, uh, is incredibly valuable in the connections that we're trying to make. And even if it's mid process, those connections allow for the opportunity to really share who we are and what we are with other people. And the other one here is metaphors. Uh, so something like spread too thin is a really great example for a metaphor. And what happens when we have too much going on in our lives? Uh, we've all experienced having a sliver of butter left on the toast and trying to spread it thin. Like we understand what that means, but it, it but it's like a catch all again. It like doesn't really mean anything in the specific context that you're trying to share it in. So, you know, uh, it, it allows us to hide how we really feel. So while everyone basically knows what spread too thin means, there's still too much ambiguity there. And, you know, as it just doesn't allow for connection and connection feels like that's the, the real goal of emotional. Join me 48 hours correspondent, Aaron Moriarty on my podcast, my life of crime, as I take on true crime investigations like no other. This season, I'm looking into the labyrinth of crime and secrets within families. I'm cutting straight to the evidence and talking to the people directly involved, including investigators and the families of victims. 
Listen to My Life of Crime with Aaron Moriarty wherever you get your podcasts. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Inspired by the life of the savvy and ambitious Colombian businesswoman Griselda Blanco comes a new Netflix original limited series. Griselda tells the story of a devoted mother who, with her lethal blend of charm and relentless savagery, creates one of the most powerful cartels in history. Witness Sofia Vergara's captivating transformation into the godmother of the underworld. Griselda, now streaming only on Netflix. Interchange. All right, welcome back to the show. This is the soft hour. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we're good. We're good. Uh, the, I was like watching a summit thing today, and there was a lot of like soft speaking people, and there's something about like the soft tone of voice and like the NPR voice and like the, the ASMR thing that just makes me deeply uncomfortable. I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is. I don't know what it does to my brain. It feels like there's a little worm crawling into my ear and just nestling up in there and saying, Hey, I'm another person. In your mind. <laughs> so, I don't know. It just makes me feel really, really weird. I don't like it at all. Um, <laughs> maybe that's something for me to explore eventually. But we'll see. I mean, I don't like guided meditation either. Uh, I don't I don't like... Um, I could do meditation. Uh, I like uh, the idea of it. I, I've found my own ways to do it. I let my mind wander, which is really what meditation is. Um, but I don't really need like a guided yogi or anything like that. Um, like the hums and the hum, like that's just too much. Can't do all that. Kind of bothers me. Something about the human voice. It feels like someone's trying to probe into my mind <laughs> and change the way that I think or feel. I don't like that at all. So <laughs> that's for another time. Uh, so I'm going to continue reading the rest of this article here and I'll put a link to it in the description because I think it's really helpful to, uh, to take a look at. I think it's a really good, you know, maybe you need to read it and, and some things will, will kind of stretch out. Uh, there's also some really good, um, resources on, uh, Wikipedia about intellectualizing, talking about, um, Sigmund Freud had basically a discussion around, uh, intellectualizing and a little bit of Carl Jung in there as well, saying that basically if we're intellectualizing, we are allowing for neuroses to continue. You know, it's, it's sort of like an outer layer of protecting the, you know, the part of ourselves that the unconscious part of ourselves that really needs to experience emotions in order to feel, you know, kind of release the tension that emotions tend to bring, right? And I want to look a quick aside before I like I keep going with this article is that I, I want to harp on this point about emotions in general 
and something I'll probably talk about a lot in the coming episodes is that we tend to think of emotions as this like ethereal spiritual thing. Emotions are not that emotions are not something that happened to us. Emotions are our bodies reacting. That's why we call them feelings. It's, that's how we feel. It's how we physically feel. It's not just like a, you know, you're, you're something connecting to the universe or something. I know that's like demystifying it, but sometimes I think that needs to be demystified. The idea that an emotion is something that is, you don't have any kind of like agency over or control over or ownership over, uh, emotions are a part of your buying body. It's a part of your being. It's a part of your body reacting to something, to stress, to your environment, to your partner, you know, like sexual arousal, for example, is, is an emotional state. Your body is reacting to an experience. And so all of these emotions are things that are happening to your body. Your muscles tense up, your heart races, you start sweating, like whatever happens in different situations for you. Like your body is physically reacting. Those are emotional states. Those are feelings. And then we try to identify what those signals are by, you know, trying to express them through sometimes through music creation, sometimes through uh, art and through words and through podcasts or through writing articles or however we want to express those emotions. But as long as we're actually genuinely expressing what that emotion is, then our body can kind of release that tension. So that's really important to remember that emotions are not this ethereal thing. It's your body and you can trust your body and that's okay. So anyway, <laughs> um, so uh, I'm just going to start reading this article a little bit verbatim. So what's so bad about intellectualizing my emotions a bit, especially if it helps me avoid pain? In small doses, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Your dry cleaning guy doesn't need to know the ultimate intimate details of your guilt over that argument with your sister-in-law on Christmas Eve. So when he asks you how your Christmas was, saying, oh, it was fine, is probably, well, fine. So the problem lies in the habit of avoiding pain plain and specific language when describing how we feel. And like all habits, its power is its danger. The ability to automate decisions and form routines makes us more efficient and open up, opens up resources for other things. If everyone went around emoting everything, they genuinely felt like they felt in every interaction all day, every day, nothing would ever get done. A little emotional suppression actually allows society to function. But when that emotional suppression in, and hiding becomes a firmly ingrained habit that we can't shut off, it makes us rigid and inflexible, specifically when we're in a habit of not talking to ourselves or others about how we feel in a plain way. It becomes difficult to do so when it's truly necessary, and this can become problematic in a few ways. So I, I think this is really important to talk about in terms of the, uh, the habit forming of not sharing your emotional state, right? Because if you're not doing it regularly, it, it's hard to do. But if you're doing it regularly, it just becomes second nature. And that was part of the impetus for this podcast, honestly. I wanted to become, become better at expressing my emotional state and create connection. It's no, uh, it's no accident, that I started to create more connections with people the second I started building this podcast and connecting with my partner and having more emotional uh, conversations and reactions uh, with her. And I'm connecting with INTPs on the dopamine uh, YouTube channel because I'm expressing my emotional state comfortably. And INTPs are like, what? You mean that's possible? <laughs> yeah, totally is. And, uh, you know, learning some things. 
And, uh, you know, I want to share that with people. And I think it's really important because I think it's a, a basic, essential uh, aspect of our humanity to express our emotions. It's, it's, you know, we take in things and we let things out. Like we have to do that system of our, of, of our body. Like our body takes in things and, and gets rid of things, you know, energy interchange. That's another way to kind of think about it. That's a term that I just came up with. So three negative consequences for intellectualizing your emotions. In my experience, there are three subtle but powerful threats to our well-being that come from that habit of intellectualizing our emotions. Consequence number one, lack of emotional clarity. I see the problem of intellectualizing emotions all the time with my therapy clients who are struggling with some type of mental health issue. Like most of us, many of them have a strongly ingrained habit of intellectualizing their emotions and aren't aware that they're doing it. Avoiding plain language when describing how they feel. Unfortunately, this habit makes it really difficult for them to open up in therapy about how they feel, which is generally a prerequisite for making progress on any mental health goal. Been having panic attacks for months. Working through anxiety is going to be pretty tough if you can't talk about your fear. Depressed for the past year, there's a good chance some combination of anger, sadness, and guilt are going to need to be addressed and plainly. Always fighting with your spouse, effective communication, especially about feelings, is going to be an integral part of the solution. If you're not clear about your emotions, you can't manage them effectively. And that was one of the biggest challenges that I faced in my marriage was that my partner and I were not, uh, my ex-wife and I were not talking about our emotional states and not honoring them to their fullest extent. One of the frustrations that I experienced was I got a lot of walls put up. So I got a lot of, it's fine, everything's cool, don't worry about it, never mind, like that sort of stuff. And I really just never knew the genuine feelings of what she was experiencing until it was like a blow up, maybe a month later. And even then, it was really hard to tell what exactly she was feeling, so much as I experienced um, a list of requirements <laughs> of how I was supposed to behave. And it wasn't really helpful for that, for, for us to communicate. So two, two things there. Like if you're able to find a way to express yourself, whether that's through therapy or some other external means, which is what I ended up doing was going to therapy instead of trying to find another emotional scapegoat, uh, in, in some sort of emotional infidelity, which is an, an episode that I did a little while ago called infidelity. And if you can find a healthy way to start to express yourself, you can sometimes figure out if your current situation is not one that you should be in, you know, and realize that, oh, I'm not really getting emotional expression where I need it. And, you know, that's really what's missing. That's what doesn't feel good. Right. So uh, that that's pretty important. Consequence number two, poor self-awareness, even though many of us may f- be fortunate enough, fortunate enough not to be struggling with some sort of mental health difficulty. We all want to work on ourselves to some extent. We want to feel more motivated and excited about our work, more present and connected with our family, more cheerful and less critical with our friends, etc. But like being lost in the wilderness, it's hard to arrive at your destination if you don't know where you are. Similarly, it's difficult to change how we feel if we don't really know how we are we feel in the first place. And this is the second danger in our habit of distancing ourselves from how we feel by intellectualizing our emotions. By avoiding talking specifically about how we feel, we avoid thinking specifically about how we feel. And if we do that long enough, we really don't know how we feel. 
like any other skill, speaking Mandarin, playing cello, or powerlifting, if we stop practicing, we lose competency, and it's no different with our emotional lives. The habit of intellectualizing our emotions leads to a kind of cartoony impression of how we really feel that we're stressed or fine, and that's really an accurate picture of something as complex and nuanced as a human being's emotional life. So before we can change how we feel, we have to establish the habit of describing how we feel in plain, genuine language. No metaphors, no vague terms, just plain emotions, which is so important to think about. I love the cartoony expression because cartoony, it feels like, you know, it feels like those are those are habits that we kind of learn from from TV, from society, from uh, our parents, maybe anyone that we come across that like. Or even like in dating habits, like, you know, sometimes women or men are told that, you know, you got to play hard to get and you have to do, you know, the I'm fine or never mind or whatever, you know, make them chase you kind of thing. And sometimes that leads to like, you know, some emotional repression. And uh, that's not that's not great. (laughs) That's not a good way to do it. So cartoony is a really good way to look at that because it's just not it's not realistic for that to be sustainable as a connective tool. So, and consequence number three is isolation and alienation. The last major downside to being stuck in a habit of intellectualizing our emotions is that it's isolating. One of the primary ways we human beings forge connections with each other is by being vulnerable and sharing intimate aspects of our lives with others. Think about all the gory details that a best friend or close sibling, close sibling knows about you. They don't know that stuff about you because you're close. You're close because they know that about you when you, which only happened because you shared it. While uncomfortable and even painful, sharing our feelings humanizes us and makes us relatable. Nobody wants to be friends with someone who's just fine all the time. We all crave connections with people, not robots. And unfortunately, if we're too afraid of uh, or uncomfortable to share how we feel, we end up isolated, lonely, and feeling even worse. And this can be a difficult cycle to break out of. And uh, so now here are some tips on how to break out of that, um, that intellectualizing cycle, as it were. So number one is awareness. Start to recognize and pay attention to your go-to emotional uh, intellectualizations. If, you, if you're not sure what they are, ask a spouse, family member, or coworker you're close to. Do you tend to say that you're stressed all the time or maybe it's pretty good or depressed? Uh, depression is a diagnosis, not an emotion. So uh, like I said earlier, like listen to the words that you're saying. Are you saying that you're uh, you're just tired or, you know, just anything that feels like an avoidance of the clear expression that you're feeling? I think that's something to be aware of. Uh, number two, prepare alternatives. If we want to start eating more healthily, resisting unhealthy food isn't enough. We also need to keep our home stocked with healthy alternatives. Similarly, if we want to be more plain in the way we ha- describe how we feel, it makes sense to prepare some good alternatives ahead of time. Try this. Google emotions list. Print them out and carry it around with you. Whenever you notice yourself using an intellectualized emotion, pull out your list and find a more appropriate emotional word. Do this enough and those real emotions will get easier to pull up and use on your own. Uh, There's something called an emotion wheel as well, which is pretty good to look through, especially if you're a thinker type like me. Uh, Having access to an emotion wheel is very, very valuable. Uh, Number three, lean into the discomfort. The biggest reason we avoid using plain emotions to describe how we feel is that we worry that it will be too uncomfortable either uh oh i gotta turn off my 
ringer, (laughs) either to us or to someone else. We worry that if we acknowledge our sadness, we'll sink back into depression or that if we communicate our anger, we'll feel, we'll make our spouse feel guilty. In other words, we uh, intellectualize our emotions because we're afraid of them and their consequences. But while emotions can be uncomfortable, they're not dangerous. No one ever died from guilt or became depressed because of sadness. In fact, there's pretty good evidence that it's the avoidance of sadness that leads to depression. In any case, to get over our fear of our own emotions, we need to start being willing to experience them and build up resilience. So start small. And instead of telling your spouse that you're tired, explain that I'm a little frustrated that you dot 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 or whatever you're sad or frustrated about. Just be honest. And you don't have to say it in a blow up kind of way either. You know, you can just say I'm being honest. You can what I think helps and not something that just that's talked about in this uh, article is Sometimes you can give a little bit of a qualifier or a preamble, like I'm expressing myself here. I'm, I, you know, I just want to prepare you for that or just let you know, I'm kind of working through this emotion, but I want to be honest with you with how I feel and, you know, really just share what the, what's coming up for me or that, uh, this happens. Right. And what I think is not helpful is accusatory language and making sure that you're using I language, you know? I feel, you know, I'm a little bit frustrated because you did this, right? A lot of people are just like, you're a jerk. You're, you're this. (laughs) And that's not a good way to approach it. So, um, so wrapping up this article, let's see, expressing how we feel is plain in plain, clear language can be surprisingly scary and uncomfortable. And, uh, in order to avoid this discomfort, we all tend to intellectualize our emotions to take a genuine emotional feeling like sad or scared and verbally wrap it up into a little intense idea, like upset or stressed, Um, while this is a natural or even useful tool at times, it can come with serious downsides if it becomes a mindless habit and our standard operating procedure, including staying stuck in mental health struggles, having trouble with personal development goals and getting caught in cycles of isolation and loneliness. So, but in some ways, uh, in small ways, we can begin to change our emotional language by consciously choosing to use real emotions to describe how we feel. We can start to take step forwards, take steps toward more clarity about how we truly feel. Nicely put, Mr. Sir, Mr. Sir Nick Wicknall. I think he did a good job, which is why I basically referenced that article. I was looking through and just trying to connect a couple dots, uh, and and that really brought it home for me. So I think he did a really good job of expressing that. Um, and, And that's something for me in my story that I want to continue to work on. I think I could use a list like the the emotion wheel and really study it and look at it and have access to it and allow myself to just kind of look at it or, or, or genuinely use it in a situation where I'm like, I'm, I'm feeling that like, quote unquote, upsetness or tired or not knowing what's going on and just look at the wheel and just, you know, it's almost like you just point at something and you're like, yep, that's the one, (laughs) you know? And I think, um, the intellectualizing, when I think about the word intellectualizing, it's, it's about, you know, sounding adult or sounding smart, right? And sometimes that, again, we can associate emotions with being childlike or being ethereal or spiritual or woo-woo or not realistic. And if we can take a little bit of extra time to just be, to give ourselves room to breathe, to give ourselves a moment to relax and just be honest and say, look, This is who you are. This is what you're genuinely feeling. This is like your life. This is your mind. 
You don't have to dress up for anyone. You don't have to dress up your words for anyone. You don't have to express yourself in a way that other people um, need to validate. You just need to be honest and you need to be real about what you're experiencing. Now, if you're like a Myers-Briggs person, that means for FI or for FE. That means for someone who is um, a, a thinker that you still need to work through this and express it in some shape or form with your partner. Even if it's inelegant, even if it's embarrassing, even if it's going to make you cry and you don't feel comfortable crying, like just being honest about how this made you feel is a good first step. And it's not about emotionally masochistic feelings. It's just about genuinely seeing what it is, looking at it, and then from there you can find a way forward. And that's really what Nick was talking about in that, uh, in that article. So if you guys have any questions about this topic, again, you can go check out the article. I put it in the, the description and, um, I might do my own article version as well in the future. Uh, if I, if I get around to it, I got a lot of stuff going on, <laughs> but, um, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the podcast. I hope you can identify some moments when you are intellectualizing your emotions and make note of them. This is not about shaming you. This is not about making you feel bad. It's not making you feel stupid. This is just about a way of, improving your emotional situation. Because again, our mental health is day to day. It's mental health that we have to manage all the time. And emotions are things that we're experiencing all day long. You can even take an innocuous moment and set a timer and just say like, how am I feeling right now? I feel, I feel happy. I feel respected. I don't know. I don't, I have to look at the emotion meal again. Um, <laughs> but you know, sometimes like literally that's it. Sometimes you just don't even know what emotions, certain emotions are, right? Uh, it's like learning a language and developing that skill. And I think for me personally, I need to develop that skill. Uh, so uh, for us thinkers, we need to kind of develop a little bit of that skill. So um, I hope you guys appreciated the show. If you go to dopamine.life, you can uh, subscribe to the podcast and to check out our Myers-Briggs course. If you sign up for the different types, like there's a question about like which topic you're interested in, I'll send you some emails about uh, the specific, that specific thing that'll get you on a path to, uh, to share some of uh my free programs and, and ways to help you out with some things. And, um, yeah, if you want to hit me up at let's go see note, uh, dopamine show on Twitter or let's go see notes on all the social channels. And if you like this podcast, leave a comment, leave a rating and review on iTunes. That would be a big, big help. I really would love to get on. I see the charts all the time and I really want this to be like a bigger deal. <laughs> so as I continue to make a little bit more of a push on, uh, on the, on the, the social medias and, uh, trying to do more articles and trying to focus a little bit more around really talking about mental health and everyday neuroses. I think this is going to be something that, um, you know, I, I really want to reach as many people as I can to help as many people as I can and really make, I don't know, make my own mark on life as well. So, uh, I'm, I'm done rambling. I love you guys. Take care of yourselves and each other, and I'll catch you next time on dopamine. See ya.
Hey, you beautiful human. Thanks for listening to Dopamine and providing your support for this show. I really, really appreciate it. If you really love this show, leave a review on iTunes and Stitcher to show some love for the podcast. You can also check out cnote.media to check out my work and my courses. But um, with that, we'll catch you next time. See you guys later.